This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator Podcast in the Neonatology Review Podcast. It is uh, Thursday, and uh, we are moving forward with our coverage of nutrition. Daphna, how are you? I'm good. Daphna's upset. We're chuckling because... I've made your life difficult today. I'm very sorry. Well, we don't always agree on what's the high... We do tend to agree on what's the highest yield, but after the highest yield, sometimes we disagree about what. We want to make this as useful for people as possible. But, yeah, but we don't have to review this table. I think there's, but there's a very interesting table in, in page 16, which goes yeah. over the different kinds of processing you could do to breast milk, right? You could either store it zero to four degrees Celsius. You could freeze it like minus 20 when you're trying to remove all the stuff for CMD. Then you have heat treated slash pasteurization, 56 degrees centigrade, or you can do holder pasteurization, which is even higher heat, 62 degrees. And then you have microwaving. So, and then it tells you like, what are some of the things that remain stable? What are some of the things that remain, that are decreased? And it's a long table. It's kind of, it's kind of tedious, but you should look at this. They, they sometimes like to ask you um, how, what, like basically how IGA changes uh, as you do some of these things, which IGA doesn't hold up well to heat. So that's what, that's what I remembered basically. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So that's really when you start losing your immunoglobulins is in the holder pasteurization 62 degrees and microwaving. They like to ask about microwaving. This is why you should never microwave breast milk because you lose your IgA, you you, you lose your lysozyme and vitamin C. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think. And and the gist is, the hotter you make things, the more stuff gets lost. Um basically. Okay. All right. I'm going to move on to formulas. Um, give a brief overview of the formulas and basically preterm formulas. They really like to ask the difference between preterm and term formula. So that's something else to commit to memory, like the changes in breast milk composition. In general, preterm formulas have greater protein content and a way to casein ratios compared to term formulas because they like to look more like early milk as compared to mature milk. Infamil preterm formulas are 80% weighted, 20% casein. Okay, fine. Let's talk a little bit more about term versus preterm formula. Preterm formulas have a reduced amount of lactose. That makes sense because preterm babies have less lactate. Preterm formulas have, in general, a higher total fat content, a higher total protein content, I have a greater amount of minerals, calcium, phosphorus, and iron, a greater amount of vitamins and trace elements, and preterm formulas have greater options for increasing caloric density. Now, in terms of the fat con, so basically the preterm formulas have more of everything except a reduced amount of lactose. And in terms of fat content, they have a greater proportion of medium chain triglycerides, so they're easier uh, to break down. And in terms of total protein content, they have a greater proportion of whey to casein. Mm -hmm. So I think people are getting the gist here. 
Now, I'm remembering from last time, there was a discussion about this line, NFML preterm formulas are 80% weighted, 20% casein. They have a, a few different types, so that's just something to consider. I would not, I would not focus on any one brand. I, I would focus on the big gestalt things here. Okay, um, so obviously we have cow's milk proteins. Um, there are a number of these Enfamil premature and premium newborn, Enfamil premature infants, Stimulac special care advanced, Stimulac sensitive. Um, they have soy proteins, Simlax soy isomel or Infamil prosobi. They have casein-based formulas extensively hydrolyzed, like Alimentum, Nutriamogen, and Progestamil. They have whey uh, partially hydrolyzed, Simlax total comfort. Whey and casein partially hydrolyzed, Infamil gentle ease. And then they have amino acid-based, Elecare infant and neocate. So basically, all of the companies have most of these formulations. Mm -hmm. So I think the highest yield thing, like we said, is what is the difference between uh, term and preterm formula? Okay. Then something else they really like to ask about um, are the vitamins and the trace elements. So you'll have to think back <laughs> from uh, your med school days and pull these vitamins back out. Um, it is important to know um, which are the water-soluble vitamins and which are the fat-soluble vitamins. We've touched on that briefly. And in general, it's easy to remember. The fat-soluble vitamins are um, A, D, E, and K. We all learned that at some point in time. They are synthesized from precursors. The daily intake is not typically required except in specific circumstances where you struggle with fat-soluble vitamins like um, patients with cystic fibrosis. They're not easily excreted, so they can accumulate in the body and have the potential for toxicity. And they, uh, the fat-soluble soluble vitamins, like we talked about earlier in the week, placental transfer by simple or F for fat-facilitated diffusion. The water-soluble vitamins like B and C are not formed by precursors. The daily intake is required to prevent deficiencies, and it does not accumulate in the body except for vitamin B12. And the water-soluble vitamins move across by active transport. Preterm infants are at risk for vitamin deficiency because they are likely to have low vitamin stores. They have increased requirements because of this rapid growth, and they have ineffective metabolism because everything is immature. They're also at increased risk of vitamin toxicity, especially when we're giving them vitamins, secondary to altered urinary excretion. So then they want to talk about um, some of the biggie vitamins that you might be tested on. Is that what they're called over there? The, some of the, <laughs> the biggie vitamins. <laughs> the highest yield vitamins for testing. Okay, vitamin O. And you do have to know their... Their, their tough full, names, their, their full, full names, name. <laughs> their Good first and last know. names. So vitamin B12, cobolamine, and folic acid, folate uh, deficiency is the first section. Vitamin B12 is endogenously synthesized by the GI microorganism and is required for folate metabolism. Vitamin B12 is also important for carbohydrate and fat metabolism. And folate is a coenzyme for amino acids and nucleic acid metabolism. There's a risk of vitamin B12 deficiency in breastfed infants of vegetarian mothers who do not ingest eggs or dairy products. 
and there is a risk of folic acid deficiency in infants fed only evaporated milk or goat's milk. That's a huge uh, board's buzzword. Vitamin B12 deficiency um, is associated with anemia, and almost all of the vitamins are associated with some sort of metabolic problem. So vitamin B12 deficiency is associated with methylmalonic acidemia and homocystinuria. I'm sorry, it's tough. You just gotta, you just have to commit to memory. <laughs> the folate deficiency uh, uh, is associated with poor weight gain and anemia, and it often coexists with iron deficiency. Okay. Okay. Vitamin E, alpha tocopherol deficiency. Um, vitamin E um, is useful because it has antioxidant properties. Um, and vitamin E is often recommended to be provided concurrently with iron administration to protect from iron-induced hemolysis caused by the oxidant effect of iron. So, like in our uh, anemia prematurity protocol, we supplement uh, vitamin E, iron, and uh, folic acid. Vitamin K deficiency. So vitamin K is required for carboxylation of prothrombin into the active form. And vitamin K is crucial for coagulation. Newborns are predisposed to vitamin K deficiency because um, vitamin K is predominantly synthesized um, by GI microorganisms. And so since newborns have this initial paucity of GI microorganisms, they lack this vitamin K synthesis. And the newborn liver is immature. In addition, maternal medications can decrease neonatal vitamin K levels. These are the anticonvulsants, warfarin, and the anti-tuberculosis medications. And breastfed infants have lower vitamin K levels compared with infants receiving cow's milk. And deficiency of vitamin K is associated with hemorrhagic disease of the newborns. And that is why it is recommended that all babies get the intramuscular vitamin K shot after birth. Yeah, the vitamin K is asked left and right. Yeah, it's. Uh, and you need to know all the different types of vitamin K deficiency bleeding as well, as we reviewed in hematology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's run through some of the other vitamin deficiencies. Vitamin A or retinol is important for pulmonary epithelial growth and cellular differentiation. A lot of study was done on could we supplement babies with BPD or babies who are at risk for BPD with vitamin A. Unfortunately, it's not gone as well as we had hoped. Um, but there is some thought that a deficiency of vitamin A or retinol may play a role in the development of chronic lung disease. Now, if you don't have enough vitamin A, it presents with photophobia, conjunctivitis, scaling, failure to thrive, an abnormal epiphyseal bone formation, and tooth enamel. So I think skin, eyes, bones, and teeth for vitamin A and retinol. Vitamin B1 or thiamine. This is the beriberi uh, complex. It has fatigue, irritability, constipation, and cardiac failure. Vitamin B1 deficiency, thiamine deficiency, is associated with pyruvate dehydrogenase complex deficiency and maple syrup urine disease. Vitamin B12 or riboflavin, uh, the symptoms are failure to thrive, photophobia, blurred vision, dermatitis, and mucositis. And it is associated with gluteric aspiduria type 1. 
vitamin B6, or pyridoxine, has dermatitis, mucositis, hypochromic anemia, occasionally seizures, and is associated with homocysteinuria. Biotin, uh, something you find in the uh, beauty counter aisle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the symptoms are alopecia, dermatitis, scaling, and seborrhea, so skin, skin and hair. Um, and it's associated with biotinidase deficiency, beta-methylcrotonal glycinuria, propionic acidemia, and pyruvate dehydrogenase complex deficiency. So I guess if you only had to pick one, biotin has the most uh, association. Vitamin C, or ascorbic acid, uh, presents with, uh, deficiency presents with poor wound healing and bleeding gums and is associated with transient tyrosinemia. I remember tangerine for vitamin C. I don't know why. Transient tyrosinemia made me think of tangerine. That's a good one. And vitamin C deficiencies. And vitamin D is one we know. Rickets, failure to thrive, and possible tetany. I think we have just enough time to go over some of the trace elements. And I know that both of us have some mnemonics for the trace elements. Um, chromium. Its function is to regulate glucose levels because of its role in insulin metabolism. Um, in, in animals, a clinical effective deficiency is diabetes. You had a chromium. Do you remember your mnemonic? No. Buddy, come on. <laughs> I don't. It's actually, you were as you were saying this, I'm like, I don't remember my... I can pull up my notes. Let me see if I pull up my notes. Keep, keep going. Well, I remember some of your mnemonics. So you had a mnemonic for copper because copper looks like a penny. Copper penny is made of copper and looks like a red blood cell. That's right. It's kind of red. That's right. Thank you. That's right. <laughs> because copper is critical for production of red blood cells as well as hemoglobin formation. It's important for absorption of iron and associated with multiple enzyme activities. If you don't have enough copper, you have anemia, neutropenia, osteoporosis, depigmentation of hair and skin. Uh, what is it? Minky's kinky hair? Minky? Yeah. Minky, is a copper Minky's, deficiency. Is, is kinky hair disease. Yeah. You have poor weight gain, hypotonia, and ataxia later in life. Iron, we know, is a component of hemoglobin and myoglobin required for transport of oxygen and carbon dioxide. It is absorbed predominantly in the duodenum and proximal jejunum. So if you have injury in any of these areas, then you're at risk for iron uh, deficiency. Um, and vitamin C enhances the absorption of iron. Without iron, you have anemia and failure to thrive. Manganese has a role in enzyme activation. Um, through superoxide dismutase, and it's important for normal, normal bone structure, and it plays a role in carbohydrate metabolism. Selenium is a cofactor for glutamine peroxidase. And then zinc, um, I think, I feel like zinc was an underdescribed uh, trace element when we were studying in medical school, but actually has a lot of clinical effects in neonates. So it's an important component of several enzymes and is very important for growth. So sometimes in babies who have poor linear growth, we supplement them with zinc. The presentations are acrodermatitis enteropathica. Um, so it's an autosomal recessive disorder in which there is an abnormality of zinc absorption or transport. This presents with failure to thrive, alopecia, diarrhea, a perianal dermatitis, ocular changes, and a rash. 
It's usually crusted, erythematous, involving the face, extremities, and anogenital areas. Also presents with male hypoplasia or dysplasia. So it's it's a common one for them to show us a, a the pretty picture. impressive diaper dermatitis. Yeah, look, that's look it not up. candidal. It's, yeah, look it up because once you see uh, acrodermatitis enterohepatic, like you you will not You'll know it. it. This, yeah, this looks terrible. And you fix it with zinc. <laughs> with zinc, that's it. Um, and then acquired zinc deficiency. So preterm infants receiving inadequate amounts of zinc. Maternal zinc deficiency can lead to fetal growth restriction and congenital anomalies. And infants with malabsorption, poor weight gain, and poor wound healing, anemia, and iron deficiency. Okay, buddy. All right. So tomorrow so we have a bunch of questions. That sounds good. And we'll be back. Sounds good, buddy. Have a good uh, rest of your day. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to NICUpodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUpodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.